Hey folks, welcome to episode 293 of the MLF Bass Fishing Podcast in Shaftesbury, Vermont. I'm Jody White, joined as always from Norwalk, Iowa by Kyle Wood. Yes, sir. Um, Kyle, we have big news this week. We have our first ad read. This is huge. Folks, stay tuned for that coming later this show. <laughs> yeah, we're doing big things. Man. Um, but uh, I figure we ought to start with a little weather update considering kind of the world is still pretty heavy on the weather front um yeah i am looking outside we got like four inches of snow last night and it is kind of melting it's pretty warm uh tomorrow it's supposed to be uh pretty warm here too it's supposed to be like 40 or something and maybe rain so spring has sprung in Vermont. that's what it, it was like 40 something yesterday it's supposed to be almost 50 today and then like basically hover around 40 for the rest of the week which is glorious. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to be nice. I like I didn't realize when how much warmer 40 is than like 20 is, but turns out it's a lot. Like it's pretty significant. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, up. and I, I was at my cabin uh this past weekend. Uh we could dive into it more then, but you know, it was like negative 35 when we were in Florida up at my cabin. And uh, it was like 18 one day and the sun was out. I was like, hey, this is actually okay. And then to get back to Iowa here and have it be uh, like 40-whatever degrees yesterday, it was like, you know, I might be able to take this hoodie off and, and walk around outside with a T-shirt because it was toasty. Nice. Also, shout out to finally being able to wash my truck. Uh, anyone listening that lives in the north, if you have like, you know, salt and road grime, cake to your vehicle for extended periods of time it feels really good to like go wash all that junk off and it'd been too cold and the car wash car washes weren't open so uh i <laughs> i could finally do it it was like a month of my truck just uh it's a great truck but it looked white basically from the amount of salt on it so like kyle you know my uh vehicle washing strategy <laughs> um yeah <laughs> i i did consider wash because i do I, I like seeing the difference. I'm just not yeah. a believer in that difference lasting. I live on a dirt road. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, right, right. So it's like kind of brushing. It's kind of like brushing your teeth. I feel like, uh, but I do do that because <laughs> I'm told it helps. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I hear anyway. anyway. I almost washed the truck when I was in Florida because. Uh, but it rained. It rained dude, a couple days. A thing. So that was second day I was in Florida. Yeah. It rained a bunch overnight. <laughs> at uh toho and i was like oh, all right guess i don't need to wash that <laughs> good to go <laughs> and uh anyway it looks like it super needs a wash again now uh but in vermont like especially on a dirt road we're about to enter mud season where it's even more oh, yeah. pointless to wash a vehicle <laughs> yeah yeah for um, sure so it's uh probably gonna stay pretty grimy for a while yeah that's all right but anyhow we have i think a like pretty typical standard show this week, which should be good. Um, the, uh, I guess the main thing we got an interview with Jimmy Washam, who is our most recent Toyota Series winner. Uh, went wire to wire at Lake Gunnersville last week in the cold. Um, so we'll talk with him. Then we have uh, we're going to probably talk about Gunnersville a little bit more. We've got a couple BFL derbies to kind of go over. 
even I'll probably wax poetic a little bit about thrift because he's in the red crest and basically crushing life. But you know, mm-hmm. a lot of things can happen over there. Uh, and then we'll preview the college fishing national championship. You got a tackle warehouse game. You went fishing, and we'll kind of call it a day. Sound good? Oh man, it sounds lovely. All right, well, folks, buckle up to buy some stuff because I'm going to read you an ad read, and then we're going to get over to this Jimmy Washam interview. <laughs> Uh, few lures have stood the test of time like the original rattle trap by Bill Lewis. And now, with the help of Major League Fishing Pro Mark Daniels Jr., we're launching the SB57 and MR6. Go to rattletrap.com to learn more. How was that? <laughs> Beautiful. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, on that high note, we are going to go ahead and throw this over to Mr. Jimmy Washam. Alrighty, and now we are joined by Jimmy Washam, uh, Tackle Warehouse, Pro Circuit Pro, and our latest winner uh, on the Toyota Series at Lake Gunnersville. Jimmy, congratulations on the win. Jody, thank you so much, bud. Good to hear from you. I'm glad to talk to you. Dude, I uh, so that tournament, I had visions in my head of just an absolute slugfest because I was at a Gunnersville event and I want to say like 2015 where honestly I got bored of guys weighing six pounders. I was like, this is, I need, I need it to be like an eight before I get excited. And, uh, this was not that event. Like it was a grind, but dude, you pretty much blew it out. I mean, you caught, I think the biggest bag of the tournament on day one and really looked like you never let up, man. So I guess congratulations on some domination. Well, thank you so much. You know, it, the the final result and the daily results may have looked like a domination, but uh, the way that it unfolded for me on the water was certainly not just, uh, you know, coasting right into an easy W. It was kind of a, a shaky roller coaster with a lot of suspense and a lot of fish catches really late in the day, which uh, we all know as, as fishermen that it's, as tournament anglers especially, it's a lot more fun to catch them at 8 in the morning than, 3:30 in the afternoon but hey we got it done it all worked out it uh you know couldn't have worked out any better no doubt tell me about your day one because if i remember correctly i think you i i read that you basically had like one or two fish like around noon maybe later than that and then you ended up with the biggest bag of the derby so obviously things changed they did i actually had two fish at noon I had three fish at 3 p.m. Check-in time was 3:45. Wow! I caught, a, I caught a, I caught a fish on, on one little place, just kind of running new water, at three o'clock, and it was just a keeper. So at that time, I, I'd caught a six-pounder early, which was great, but that was the only bite I'd had all morning, literally. And then I caught a, uh, just a keeper on a bank, and then I caught, uh, another, another four-pounder. A little afternoon so at three o'clock I had three fish I caught another keeper on a place that kind of told me I felt like when I got that bite that the fish are biting right now because it 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 told me a little bit about where I caught that fish but mainly it told me and my co-angler just caught one it told me hey the fish are biting and I know of one place where it's got good fish on it. it's a place I caught the six pounder that morning so I hightailed it down there and, and just dedicated my, my last few minutes to that. And I want to say it was the first cast when I pulled up, I caught a four. And then very shortly after that, I caught the big fish of day one, which was a seven, five. And 
I mean, to for that to unfold, I was I was literally, you know, like in a rush to call that fish to make sure that I got checked in on time. So it was extremely crunch time, and um, you know, it it wasn't just a catch a bunch of fish and call up all day. It was I think I I ended up catching six keepers on day one. I just had a six and a seven five and uh, and a couple of fours to go along with it. So I, you know, cliche term, but I literally got the right bites that day. That's for sure. Gunnersville is a place where you can do that. I mean, it's like, it's a special lake. It's got that quality, and you can, I mean, you can do exactly what you did and put together a really good bag in really short order. Um, so it, it's good that you, you know, you, you capitalized on that. You were obviously in the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's that's right. I, You know, part of that was I, I just I felt really fortunate. I felt like things just went my way. I'm not not saying that that was all my hard work, knowledge, experience, and skill there, but to pull up on the, the place, that, to have the confidence in a place where I said, you know, the fish are biting right now, I need to be back on that place, that really paid off for me. Yeah, no doubt. Um, how are you catching your fish throughout the week? Because, you know, on the final day, I know you had a limit, like, really in pretty short order, I think, and it seemed like the fishing almost got a little bit better for you, or at least a little more, maybe a little more consistent as the week went on. What were you, what were you doing? Well, you know, coming from the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit event at Lake Okeechobee, I didn't have a lot of practice, and it's funny, rewinding back to that real quick, I missed the day three cut by three ounces. I was pretty bummed out about that. That's, you know, pretty tight. I wanted to fish another day in the Florida sunshine instead of coming back up to that miserable North Alabama weather we had. But um, looking back on it, it was a blessing because I was able to leave, make the drive Saturday, and I had Sunday and part of Monday to practice until the weather just got too foul. So uh, that was a blessing itself. I had Sunday to practice and really struggled about halfway through Sunday and then um, – found out that the fish were much shallower than I thought. I I ended up just going shallow and catching a fish on a trap in shallow grass, and that kind of clued me in. But what, what helped me, believe it or not, is having that short practice time, I really hadn't put the puzzle together, so I was still building on that during the event. And I've always said the most dangerous fisherman is the one that figures it out on tournament day. You figure it out before then, you get closed-minded on what was going on before that day and it, it makes it a struggle to to really fish the the conditions and you know um just from from a raw surface like that so so i was blessed with figuring out enough in practice and then was building on it during the event i actually ended up when i got an idea that the fish were shallow i ended up cycling through six different baits uh, lipless baits and my in my experience fish will really get dialed in on a particular lipless bait so i i went through six of them and i caught fish on one of them and it was pretty obvious to me by the start of the event that i needed to be throwing an azuma shaker z that was the the bait i don't know if it was the pitch the action the color or a combination of all three but that's the one those fish wanted and i a little bit in practice, I started seeing that hydrilla was a big deal, and a lot of that's because Gunnersville is so loaded with eelgrass. Well, hydrilla is going to grow in specific places. Uh, primarily, main lake hydrilla will, will grow in depressions and places that have some type of 
maybe not a, a dead slack water, but a current break or something of that nature. So I kind of started dialing in on that. And as the tournament evolved, actually on day two, I had the, the lightest weight of, of all three days, but I dedicated the last 45 minutes of that day to trying to expand and in that area of the lake and try to find some more fish. And I uh, was lucky enough to do that. And so you saw my weight go up on day three. That's because I had two areas that I could really lean on, uh, kind of mixing back and forth between them instead of just really relying on one core area and hitting, you know, just more or less junk fish and covering water outside of that area. Okay. That's uh, that's cool that you were able to really add to it as the week goes on because, like, you know, guys, sometimes guys win tournaments, you you kind of did it almost backwards where you had your really big day at the beginning when you weren't all the way put together. But sometimes guys put it together, put it together, and then just crush. And sometimes guys get it all put together and then they watch it slowly fall apart as the week goes on. And maybe they hang on to win, maybe they don't. Um, but uh, did you, when you said you were trying to find hydrilla, like was that something that you could see on your electronics or did you have to fish that to know where it was? Because I've been on Gunnersville enough to know that, like, the amount of grass there can be really overwhelming. It absolutely can, and and Gunnersville is not a place I'm real familiar with. I have not spent a lot of time on it, but I have spent some time on the Tennessee River, Pickwick yeah, especially, <laughs> and and that that experience in itself helps me with with uh, being able to find Main Lake Hydrilla. I've I had the experience of knowing, looking at a, you know, a, a lake chart map, where the high probability areas are are going to hold hydrilla, and with that experience coupled with the CMAPS Precision Alabama card and my Lawrence unit, it was, uh, I mean, it was it was simple for me to look at those offshore areas and tell exactly where the the slack water areas or the the places that had the right type of current break, it's its really hard. I'm not trying to be evasive, but it's hard to explain it in exact words. But what you needed was kind of a low area behind something that, that deviated the current or lessened it. Um, and once I, I got that dialed in and saw exactly where that hydrilla was on the first place I found at Gunnersville, that's when I was able to look at the map and start duplicating it and finding that broken hydrilla that was the that was the key a lot of that four to six foot water column that the fish were occupying had had three to five foot of eelgrass in it so if you've got six foot of water depth and five foot of eelgrass you literally can effectively fish a bait in in the top one foot of the water column well the water's 40 degrees out outside of the grass so there's not a whole lot of baits that you can fish that those those fish will will take in 40 degree water and be effective so what the hydrilla offered is if you found six foot of water with the right hydrilla in it you would have clumps what i call clumpy or broken hydrilla where you've got grass that's two foot from the surface and then there's a big clump maybe the size of the deck of your boat that comes up to um you know two feet from the surface instead of two feet off the bottom and then you've got three foot tall clump next to it and then it might come up to five foot so it varies and what it allows those fish to do is a holds more heat because it's denser they can ball up in those hydrilla clumps and 
And in my opinion, the fish flock to that when it's really cold. But also what it does is it provides them the ability to feed because it's not just a curtain of vegetation. So uh, that's where I think those big fish that wanted to feed would set up. And that's what really helped me know that I was putting my bait in front of fish because taking off on the trolling motor across a 20-acre flat of grass and hoping you pull it across one that's hungry and all that eel grass was it you could get a bite doing that but you were not gonna uh maximize your potential by doing that yeah it's it's interesting like you were extremely dialed in in that event you know talking to you now like from after you fished that thing for three days like i feel like you could have gone out on day four and you know, it almost sounds like you could have fished it in your sleep if there was a day four. Like you were, you knew what to look for. You knew what was going on. And there were, I mean, like, you know, Mark Rose was in that tournament. Like there were a lot of guys who are older than you and have more wins than you on the Tennessee River who did not figure that out as well as you did. So I'm like, you know, I'm impressed. Like, I, I think it's really cool that you got that dialed in. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it uh, you know, things just went right. By by no means was I the, the best angler out of that field, do I think, but I think that I've always heard, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. Um, I think that there was some stuff going on last week that uh, I really can't explain any way other than someone else had the steering wheel, if you get what I'm saying. That uh, A quick story on day three, I had – I think three fish in the box early and, and I was, you know, I've, I've had a couple of opportunities in the past to do, uh, to accomplish things in the fishing industry. Like last year in February at the Harris chain on the pro circuit, I finished second. One you know, more day you would have won. Proud of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was dialed in that, you know, that week too, but things just didn't, didn't go just right. And that's what it takes for a win. So, um, things, things this, this week just went exactly right. And I was, but I had that in the back of my mind of, you know, I've had opportunity to do great things and, and it just slipped away from me that, that pro circuit second place finish is not the only one, but it's probably the most significant one. So I, I kept blocking it out of my mind, but it was still eating at me a little bit. Like don't go out on day three and and bomb and weigh in three fish and come back in and lose by five pounds. Don't do it. So having three fish early was, was, was huge especially since I've been catching the fish later in the day. I didn't want a nail biter down to the last second. But the fourth fish I caught, you know, we had 25-degree weather that morning and uh, ice building up on our rod guides. And every couple of casts, I'd have to dip my rod in the water to get the ice off. And I, I pulled that Shaker Z back to the boat, and I left about five foot of line out instead of pulling my bait out of the water, you know. And, and I had a, an accumulation of ice on my rod, and I dunked my rod into the over the side of the boat into the water all the way down to the last guide and to get the ice off of it. And when I picked up, I had a three and a half pounder on. So and when that right there <laughs> happened, when that right there happened, I knew, cause I had to have almost poked that fish, poke, poke that fish in the eye with my rod tip, <laughs> you know, before he ate my yeah. bait. And when I picked up and saw that and my co-angler got it in the net, I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but I said something like, yeah, somebody else is is driving this train today. So, um, I mean, it was it was my time. There's no other way to put it. Dude, that's an incredible story. I I was gonna I had like a real technical question, and I guess I'll still ask it. But it sounds like it might not have mattered uh, when you've got stuff like that happening. That's uh that's off the wall. <laughs> um, so 
you mentioned your C-Map, and I know I've used it on Kentucky Lake, and I'm sure it's super good there, like it is super good in uh, uh, in Alabama, but I'm like more of a Lake Master guy, that's what I'm more used to. What did you have your, what do your depth shadings look like for that? Were you, did you have to uh, run up the lake and really look at your graph, or could you look at your graph and you'd be like, oh, well, this is exactly it, and just go right to those hydrilla areas that you, or at least those areas where you thought there'd be hydrilla once you realized what you were looking for. You know, what the, the cool thing with CMAP, um, being able to, to change those depth shadings is great, and I've done that in the past, but Gunnersville was about two feet low for this event, and the the standard depth shading that comes with the CMAP I realized that after looking around on the first day of practice that it was the perfect uh, shading stages for the lake being about two feet low to to dial in from the from the uh, really dark blue, which is the like the hazard shallows, to the uh, the next stage of of depth, which generally would be kind of the three or four foot range. Um, right in there would was the perfect shading to help me see where where there were depressions on the flats and um, I was able to pick up on that real quickly. So I, I didn't have to do a lot of adjusting to the, or any adjusting to the, um, you know, to the shaded map on the, on the precision C maps. It just kind of worked out that it was already set up for exactly what I needed to look for, um, you know, after spending a day on the lake and looking around. That's uh, that's pretty slick. And man, it's, incredible how much that extra color helps like you can look at any regular map and when you actually have your colors highlighted and you know what you need to look at my goodness it makes it so much easier to break stuff down absolutely it you know back in the day the early uh, lake maps just had white chart with with grid lines and that you know that was helpful because it, it beat the heck out of what we had before that, which was nothing. But uh, now with the shaded maps, as accurate as they are, it literally paints a picture under the under the surface. And, uh, you know, we're really fortunate as anglers to have that technology right at our fingertips because what used to require covering water and spending time in an area now, I mean, this past week at Gunnersville, I felt like I knew an area that I had never set foot on in my life just by looking down at my front graph and looking at my map, I knew exactly what laid ahead of me from depth adjustments to uh, slack water areas to where hydrilla would be. It was all literally right there in front of me on a map. There's uh, there's places on Champlain I used to fish with a paper map, and like you'd ride around and you'd look at your depth finder and he'd show you the depth and you'd look on the map and be like, yeah, I think I'm about here. <laughs> and uh, it would... Uh, <laughs> And, like, now, you know, I could show up to – I know more about those places now, even even without ever fishing them, just because you can look at a good map and be like, oh, this is it. So, yeah, I'm shout out Absolutely. to maps. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, when, when I was in my early 20s, I, I spent some time working at uh, a outdoor retailer, and they sold the, you know, marine electronics, and that was kind of the early stages of these – of these more technical lake maps and your Navionics chips and stuff like that. And of course I had a $200 depth finder on my aluminum tracker boat, but I had started fishing pickwick quite a bit. And 
I actually learned how to offshore fish by looking at maps in the store and then triangulating that in my head and then going to the lake and saying, okay, I need to leave this creek and head straight towards this creek. And then when I get to this point, head north. And, and I would literally find offshore stuff by doing that. Um, I mean, that took a lot of time and hard work. And, boy, when you found fish, you sure didn't want to lose that place. You you uh, wanted to make sure you knew how to get back to it. So, um so to go from that to, to now, you know, it's it's really not even fair, it doesn't seem like. So I bet you used to carry marker buoys. Do you still carry marker buoys? Absolutely. You know, I there's actually been an event or two, even with, with the high-tech mapping and, uh, you know, point one antennas and, and the accurate waypoints that we can mark, uh, anchor mode on, on the Lawrence Ghost, even with all that, there have been times that I've used a buoy to make sure that I was making a pinpoint cast out ahead of me. And the way that I would always use them, I didn't want to put the buoy where the fish were. I wanted to put the buoy where I needed to have the boat and then try to find something else like a landmark to line up with my cast because you obviously don't want to be, you know, retrieving a fish and pulling your buoy up. So um, I believe it or not, in the last couple of years, I have actually done that, uh, you know, even with the high-tech mapping just to make sure that I was 100% dialed down to putting the bait in front of fish. That's pretty slick. Um, so one question, you actually, you kind of brought this up because I was trying to get a hold of you and you were you were busy when we first started this interview, but uh, sometimes, you know, winning tournaments can lead to good things. So is this, uh, obviously like your career is, it kind of, this season it was in a little more precarious position than it was last year but how are things shaping up yeah it really was you know last year i was fortunate to have uh my partnerships and in, in a row and and kind of went into the season thankfully my rookie season you know pretty seamlessly and, and effortlessly with some good support i've got great support this year too but with the covid pandemic like like i mentioned in the way in i actually lost my title sponsor um, three weeks ago. So this event was just monumental as far as what it did for me. But um, it also has allowed me to, to have other opportunities with companies that were able to see how I may be able to uh, represent them and provide them a mutual benefit. And I actually, uh, right before this interview, I was able to reach an agreement with uh, Cordova Safety Products, a company out of Memphis that makes rockfish gloves, uh, fishing gloves and they're uh, kind of new to the market very competitive they make a great product at a really great price and as a matter of fact i was wearing the gloves this week at gunnersville um it's a deal where we were trying to work out a something um you know prior to the season beginning and it just took a little more time but i've been using the product this year and it's something i really believe in so i'm i'm uh, ultra excited about that. That's even a you know an extra cushion of relief for for what I've went through, and it's just a kind of a, a you know another highlight of of showing you how things sometimes work out at the exact right time. What you think might be a you know something that's detrimental or something you need to stress about or worry about could possibly open up another door, and that's a prime example right there. Well, that's cool. I guess uh, you know congratulations to you and them. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, let's see. Another, so kind of on the career vein, um, you know, last year you had a really good season on tour. Um, 
I, I would say, you know, for, as far as like a first rookie season, you know, you you caught him. You made the title. Like, there's not really anything to complain about that. You almost won a tournament. Um, this yeah. year, you got off to like another pretty good start. Do you, uh, how do you feel about just where your fishing career is at? Because you've got a real job. Like, you're a, I think you're a sheriff, right? Like, you're actually, you know, you're going back home to work still. You're not full time, you know, pro bass extraordinaire. Yes, sir. That's right. I, I juggle uh, two full-time jobs is what I tell everybody. I'm a sheriff's deputy in Tipton County, Tennessee. And uh, But what I, as as far as the fishing goes, you know, last year my, my first event was at Sam Rayburn and, and I finished, I think, 69th in that one. I think they, they cut a check down to 75th. And believe it or not, I wouldn't have wanted to finish any better there because what it showed me, i I kind of didn't trust my gut in that one until late in the day on both of the, the days of my event. And it worked out just well enough for me to get a paycheck, but it showed me, Hey, you're better than what you did here. And you're good enough to fish at this level. And it really sparked a fire in me and a confidence in myself, um, you know, with that first event. And then, and, you know, I didn't know, Really, the only lake that I'd ever seen last year on the schedule was Chickamauga. The rest of them, I didn't get any pre-practice. I just showed up for practice and, and learned it, you know, the way that lake was fishing right then, and it all worked out for me. And um, confidence was the main thing. I mean, I, I haven't fished all over the country. I didn't know anything about fishing up north, but just uh, having confidence in myself and my equipment and knowing that, that – uh, you know, there's a way to catch bass on this lake. I've just got to figure it out. That really helped. And um, this year, you know, with the adjustment to the practice days, I think if I allow that to play to my benefit, it could even help me more because three days of practice, I really like it as far as being able to dial in what's going on. But two days of practice, if a guy can just get onto something kind of like what I did last week at Gunnersville where you're building on something going into day one that's where you can really be dangerous um i was really close to doing that at okeechobee believe it or not i almost had a mega bag on day one and uh, i had the right bites i didn't do anything wrong i just uh the fish it, it just didn't work out i had five bites from big fish and i landed one of them on a buzz bait but um so that's the way that you know i, I hope and, and pray that the rest of the season will go is that I can just get a little bit of something to build on during practice and carry that confidence forward. And of course, this win last week is only going to uh, help with the confidence and the momentum. That's a big thing in this sport. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to for the next five events here on the pro circuit. And then uh, it will be nice to, if I'm fortunate enough to go to the the title in lacrosse, it'll be nice to go somewhere I've already been. Yeah, no doubt. That's, that's one thing I was thinking more about, you know, the uh, Toyota Series Championship on Pickwick, which is going to be like absolute home cooking for you. But you're right, going to the title, I mean, you're going to get, if you do well enough the rest of this year, you're going to get a chance to fish, you know, two major events or two championship events. One basically at home, then one somewhere you just fished the year before. Like, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to the the championship portion of the season because there'll be a lot of opportunity there and of course fishing a place like pickwick you know home field advantage is not always a benefit so i'll really have to work hard at that one but um 
there's some opportunity there without a doubt and and that Toyota Series Championship and the title. So um already secured the Toyota Series Championship and now I just gotta put my head down and make sure I, I stay humble, focused and motivated. You know, that's the, the three things that I prayed about this week as far as trying to make sure that I kept on the forefront of of uh what I was looking at and trying to not deviate away from. So if I can stay humble, focused, and motivated for the rest of the year, then uh, there's a lot of a lot of great opportunity ahead, without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask a technical question again. Um, last year at the Harris Chain, boy, did you catch a lot of fish on a jerk bait. And then I rolled up on you. Uh, I think they wanted Okeechobee, and you were throwing a jerk bait again. And I thought to myself, <laughs> what is this guy doing, and what does he know about Florida that no one else does? So. <laughs> what is the Florida jerkbait deal? Can you enlighten us a little bit? Because, man, you seem to have kind of a knack for it. I've just, you know, I I had, ne- I didn't have a history of fishing Florida last year, but I caught them so well last year on the jerkbait that I feel like when I pull into an area in Florida, if the weather's right, that I can catch every fish within the casting distance on a jerkbait. I just feel that way if, if conditions allow it now i'm obviously not going to go throw it in a hay field like i was catching them on the buzz bait down at okeechobee but i found an area that was conducive to to a jerk bait and i there were other baits that that those fish would have bit but i felt like if there was a fish on that isolated reed clump in front of me he was gonna bite the jerk bait when the weather was right um and you know with, with a with a worm or a chatter bait or whatever else i wanted to throw i felt like i might catch a large percentage of those fish but the, i have that much confidence in that jerk bait and it's not just florida it's around the country it's just a great bait that i have a lot of confidence in but especially in florida i feel like i can catch every fish that sees that bait when the conditions are right um and that's you know what i've uh what i i ended up doing last week down in and florida was utilizing that in the areas that would allow me to to get bit and catch fish that's uh that's pretty slick it it's uh it's jarring to see a guy throw a jerk bait up uh in florida at the same time i mean at the harris chain it's pretty well proven now that you can you got to have that on deck and it seems like uh that bait is hot all across the country but definitely i feel like you're probably the first guy i've seen throw it at okeechobee so you know shout out for that because <laughs> uh, that was yeah that was well cool. hey i might have a I might have a new uh, technique opened up for the catfishermen at Okeechobee too. If you if you watch my YouTube channel, I actually uh, today just posted the Okeechobee event, and I was waxing the catfish in the monkey box area on a jerk bait. <laughs> it was it was crazy. It was uh, really frustrating because of how many times I caught a three or four pound channel catfish that had my jerk bait twisted around him seventeen times and had to <laughs> retie. And, and several times I actually cut the you know cut the bait off retied it and on the next cast caught a bass so it was crazy how they were mixed in there but but uh yeah they'll eat the jerk bait and it's not just bass the catfish were chewing at okeechobee on the jerk bait dang you should have uh you should have kept those <laughs> you might have been able to get another paycheck uh apparently they i guess they commercial fish for catfish there and there's uh some kind of restaurant up near Kissimmee that sell that like goes through like uh, ten thousand pounds of okeechobee catfish uh, every week or something like that. At least that's what one of my boat drivers told me. And 
I don't. Wow. Well, I, you know, for, <laughs> for a guy that only has two careers going at the same time, that might be another another option for me is throwing the jerk bait down there and, <laughs> and commercial fishing the, the catfish market. <laughs> I suspect like a net or something would be a little more efficient, but you know, you never know. <laughs> yeah. I, it wouldn't be as fun though. That's definitely true. Um, I think my probably my favorite thing to catch a catfish on is a is probably a chatterbait though because you can kind of lean on them pretty good. You got heavier line like treble hook baits just takes a little too long to get them in. That's my stance on that. <laughs> yeah, and and unhooking those slimy rascals with a jerk bait stuck to the top of their back is a little bit uh, terrorizing. I could imagine that, um, no doubt. Um, well, I tell you what, man, I I think we're in pretty good shape here and. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I certainly, I uh, I'm looking forward to you know the rest of this year because you seem to have it going on pretty good, and there's going to be some more opportunities ahead of you. Um, before I let you go, is there anything you want to uh, plug or promote or anywhere folks should follow you? Um, this is your time. Yeah, you know I I, I want to thank Midway Marine. They've really stuck with me through the the turmoil and partnerships that I've had going on. So big thanks to them. Um, and all my other partners, you can find those on my social media channels, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, Jimmy Washam Fishing. So y'all make sure and check that out. And uh, a bait company that I've got a hand in that I'm building baits, design them with a partner of mine, Jeremy Presley, is Black Bass Tackle. So uh, make a finesse jig that I catch fish on all over the country. We build what I consider a premier spinner bait and just came out with some buzz baits that I've proven that will catch fish i caught them on down at lake okeechobee so if y'all are in the market for some uh, quality jigs spinner baits or buzz baits check out blackbasstackle.com all right man well uh i appreciate it and uh thanks so much for coming on and congrats again on the win thank you so much jody we're looking forward to seeing you at the next event all righty so we are back from mr washam and kyle it's time for another ad it is man uh guess what Few lures have stood the test of time like the original Rattle Trap by Bill Lewis, and now, with the help of Major League Fishing Pro Mark Daniels Jr., we're launching the SB57 and MR6. Go to rattletrap.com to learn more. <laughs> we did Dude, it, man. We crushed it. The thing, we did the it. thing is, so like, you know, to uh, part the kimono a little bit, we, are, we recorded those two ad reads like three seconds apart because we already <laughs> had the Jimmy Washam part done. It's not like we did mm-hmm. one, did an interview with Jimmy, and then came back. So, right. <laughs> I don't know. Just halfway through that, I started just absolutely cracking up. But I love it. And, folks, go buy some rattle traps. Or yeah. not rattle traps. Or buy some SB57s SB or MR6s. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I guess uh, we'll dive on into Gunnersville. Um, Kyle, we covered with Washam, like, super in-depth how he caught his fish. Uh, actually, I would argue maybe even more in depth than the articles did. I think it was a very educational interview. Do you have any uh, takeaways from Gunnersville that you want to hit? No, and I didn't really follow the tournament. Like you were doing a lot of the the editing and posting and stuff for it, and that's usually how you know from afar it's easier to follow along with the event. I was at my cabin. I was ice fishing. Uh, I kind of checked in it really though like other than the fact it was cold and you know the weights were kind of like 
you know, some guys okay. caught them, some guys, yeah. It, like, but it, uh, it was kind of like a lot of winter tournaments on Gunnersville. Like, we've seen yeah. some really, really good ones, but it seems like you have to get out of February more and into, like, March for that those really big weights to show. Right, right. Uh, but otherwise, like, I don't know, it still seemed pretty Gunnersville-y. Grass, a lot of red hard baits, um, you know, some blades of some sort, a chatterbait, a spinnerbait, a A-rig, uh, whatever, and uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't like overly surprised, I guess, and, uh, but I thought it was cool that, uh, I think was it, it was day one, you texted me that guys, they were like, uh, they had those like propane torches trying to help like yeah it was super cold on day one it was like it was like in the high teens at takeoff on day one Uh, which is not really what you want for a bass tournament (laughs) to be honest um no no, but yeah that one was cold um it it was pretty nice on day two i think it was like in the 40s and kind of cloudy and just kind of blah and then day three like it warmed up again but it started in like the 20s so it was probably mm. about as wintry of a tournament as we've had, um, at least in a long time, uh, which is kind of fun. Um, anyway, it was a pretty good tournament to cover from home because I was warm and cozy all the time, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is key. Uh, as far as like being there, certainly didn't look super fun. Um, but uh, I-, I would say a couple notable things. One, huge field. We would have had our, huge field, our max yeah. field is 260. Uh, we would have had 260 if the weather hadn't been so bad. Uh, also, it was the biggest Central Division opener that we've ever had, uh, which is notable because last year we like had a lot of Toyota Series events where we really struggled to get folks to come fishing. And uh, mm-hmm. so far this year, that's not been the case, uh, which is a good thing. Yeah, people are hyped about it, so um, that's good. So, yeah, that's what we want to see. Um, uh when you have that bigger field size, it sort of reflects in the payout. So Sloan Pennington finished second. He had 52-11. Uh, you know, had a really good derby, really consistent event. Um, he uh, made 22,000. Uh, Brennan McCord, uh, who finished fifth, obviously, former All-American champ, um, he had 46-1. He made thirteen grand with a $1,000 Phoenix bonus. Um, there was one guy I wanted to, like, call out in the top 10 patterns, and I don't remember who it was now. I think it was McCord. Um, so, the, uh, I think it was McCord. I want to, God, I, I wish I could just know this right off the top of my head. I edited the, you know, story yesterday. But he caught like 18 pounds off one stump on. Yeah, it, it was, was McCord. McCord. And I thought that yep. was really cool. Like, That is it, cool. I wish it had lasted, right? But that was like a very neat way to catch him on, uh, you know, here's, that final day. Here's the quote from him. He says, uh, quote, I actually caught 22 keepers off of one stump on day two of the tournament. Uh it was in the mouth of a ditch that came out and had a current break, and there was one stump right in the middle of it, end quote. I mean, it sounds juice and super cool that there were so many fish on it. Yeah, it was definitely a pretty special little spot. 
Um, anything else from that tournament we want to hit on, or kind of keep it rolling? Nah, man. I think uh, I think we keep on rolling on. Uh, you know, you and Washam knocked it out of the park. I'm sure. So we really did. I mean, he has Kyle. You should. We don't always listen to our inter- our own interviews, if that makes sense. But that is actually a pretty interesting one to listen to from sort of a technique standpoint and just diving pretty deep into what he was targeting. So, Kyle, you might want to listen to that. I'm all about listening to uh, Jimmy Washam tell me how to catch bass. So, yeah, folks uh, listening now to us talk about the interview that you already heard, <laughs> feel free to email us. Let us know if you liked that content or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hit us up. Um, all right, next up, a couple BFL derbs. Kyle, you want to take take command on these? Yeah, uh, we had two over the weekend. Some got rescheduled, uh, but we had a North Carolina division that was on Lake Norman. Uh, John Parker won it with 14 pounds, 5 ounces. Um, it, uh, I mean, tight race. Second place was Craig Chambers. He had 14-4. Uh, so, oof, you know quite the difference between uh winning almost six grand and winning almost three grand uh one ounce but you know it's norman so the weights are kind of tight shout out to shane lahue our boy finished fifth yeah um and i guess uh maybe we've mentioned this in one of the bfls already but like we don't quite have as much info as we used to with bfls in terms of like how guys caught them or where they caught them yeah but i'm pretty sure the winner Uh, in this one caught him on a shaky head and a shad wrap oh yeah oh yeah we literally just i was we were just talking about this one and that makes a lot of sense uh for yeah yeah that does that math adds up um but the other bfl was a gator division event on the hairs chain which that event was presented by guggen baits and they wrecked oh my goodness in that one they uh dude yeah Corey smith won it uh 29 pounds nine ounces uh neil nicks Finished second, 27 pounds, three ounces, and there were like eight other bags, six, well, seven other bags over 20, uh, a handful of 23-pound bags, a handful of 22-pound bags, a 21-pound bag. Um, shout out to Joel Willer, uh, finished 10th with 19-1. Peter T. finished 11th with 17-10. Jason Menninger finished 12th with 17-1. Uh, like, you can scroll down through a lot of this uh list and you know there's some dudes fishing this thing man yeah and it was a pretty good sized field there's a uh there's a bass open coming up on the harris chain so that's one yeah, factor. people are getting primed um, yep but it was a really big field i think i, I want to say it was like 230 boats or so uh yeah definitely over 200 for sure on the co-angler side <laughs> brennan sharp had an 810 for big bass anyway 21 6 I'm pretty sure there were two 10 pounders weighed on the pro side, on the boater side. T.W. Garten had a 10.7. I think there was like, I think there was another 10 pounder weighed. I, I would not like go to Vegas on that, but <laughs> dude, there were a lot of big fish caught in this derby. It was cool. Yeah. Um. It. Hey, that was T.W.'s only fish he weighed in. I'll tell you uh, what, that goes a long finished- way. Yeah, he finished 77th, won uh, $1,000 for Big Bass. So, you know, go big or go home. If he caught literally one more keeper, he could have won an extra $150 because he would have been in, like, you yeah. know, 50th yeah. through <laughs> uh, 30th place or whatever. 
Maybe next time. Yeah, it, it was interesting, though. I mean, they smashed them in this tournament, but it was also kind of top-heavy. Like, Yeah, very I much. I think it was cold, so I think that had a bit of an effect. But, you know, there were 15-pound bags down to 24th place. And obviously there was a 27 and a 29, so that's pretty gigantic. But when you consider that's the sheer quantity of anglers in this, there were a lot of, like, 6- and 7-pound bags, which is not really what you expect for florida i guess i don't know Mm -hmm. it it was they smashed them but it was also kind of weird like you could obviously be very not on them in that event yeah um i have a feeling that most of the guys caught them offshore who really caught them but i don't know that for sure we could uh fire off a text to uh tim frederick shout out to him finished seventh uh he caught 22-1 I bet I know how he caught him. <laughs> or Robbie Crosno. He finished fifth. He probably caught him flipping, right? Yeah. He probably caught him flipping. Probably. Tim Frederick probably caught him casting around at pads. Yep. Uh, Shepard, I bet, caught him offshore. Um, Panzeroni, I bet, caught him offshore. I have no idea on Neil, Neil and Corey. Um, where... Where did Dustin Smith finish? Did he not fish this tournament? Uh, good question. Dude, I had very high hopes for no particular reason. He did not fish that event. That is weird. I'm going to have to drop him a text. <laughs> you are going to have uh, to. Because that requires an explanation. Um, anyway, that's the uh, current BFL lowdown. Uh, Kyle, do you want to say anything about how great Brian Thrift is, or do you just want to sort of bask in the glow? I mean, Brian Thrift is just so good. And Brian Thrift on Lake Eufaula uh, in Alabama is... And Georgia. They keep saying Alabama. I I know. (laughs) I I hate to come down on the commentators because it's a difficult job, but they say Alabama the whole time. And I get the town of Eufaula is in Alabama. Half the lake. Most of the lake, if you want to like go by depth or by the Google Maps line, is in Georgia. It's like Georgia. Like I feel like maybe it's because I live in Vermont and Lake Champlain. Sometimes people say it's in New York. Maybe it's a situation like that. But like, let's give Georgia a little bit of credit here. (laughs) It's just my stance on the matter. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, go ahead, Kyle. Oh yeah, but uh, I guess. Uh, for those not following along or maybe paying uh, a little bit of attention, Redcrest is going on this week. The Bass Pro uh, Tour Championship. Uh, Thrift caught 45 pounds yesterday, uh, which was day one. He's caught two fish today, very much in the lead. Uh, so it's like know, pretty he's got tough a shot fishing. Of this bad boy. It looks like. Yeah, but also there's a lot of guys who have been catching them better than other people who are now not trying. So, like, I think it's hard to gauge what it's going to look like on the final day. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, dude, I get such a kick out of watching Thrift on Eufaula, especially because you can see him in some of the photos. You see he's just using the same stuff that he used when he won there and when he finished second there. It's like, <laughs> right, man, Brian Thrift, pretty good at fishing brush piles, eh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would say he's got that uh, kind of dialed in. Also, shout out to Thrift for still running a Fortrex. 
Um, he buys, you know, he, he buys his boat and it comes with an Ultrax now and he takes it off. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I love it him and dude him and john we need to have a podcast where they both get on sometime and just i guess complain about smart trolling motors or something dude get it. we should have them on to do that Be like, all right guys tell me why do you hate technology so much <laughs> <laughs> brian's like well i've still got these revos from 2004 and they cast great so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you can't argue they look with... a little rough but yeah they they fire a mile yeah gosh i uh thrift has been like just practicing for most of today and i could absolutely just watch him practice the whole time oh Um, absolutely agree but again you and i are probably on somewhat of an island in our fascination by and love of uh the one and only brian thrift he's so good so good man so good but hey andy morgan's catching him too and like it's I've really enjoyed watching Andy Morgan fish. Oh, no doubt. Um, anyhow, we may be uh, wax poetic about Redcrest more next week. Maybe not, because uh, Kyle, you and I are pretty soon going to be in uh, good old Oklahoma at Grand Lake. Yeah, man, we're going to be uh, we're going to be a little busy covering that uh, Abu Garcia College Fishing National Championship taking place on uh, Grand Lake. That's uh, March third to the fifth, uh, which I. Th- it's like a Wednesday to Friday, right? Yeah, it's like all during the week, which will actually be pretty slick from a, like, having, I guess it really won't make a difference for us, but, and there's no live, so, well, there's no live on the water, there's live weigh-ins. So really, it might not yes. make too much of a difference to, like, regular people, but it'll be, one thing it'll be nice for is the anglers won't have any other tournaments or anything going on on the weekend. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I suspect that one's going to be kind of a grind because from what I, I mean, one, they can throw umbrella rigs, so that'll help. Uh, but two, Grand is going to be super cold, and it seems like when Grand is super cold, it can be also super tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the uh, extended forecast isn't looking, I mean, luckily it's warmer than it was, you know, last week, but still like mid to low 30s at night like maybe mid 50s during the day maybe some rain like dude could be could be eh. so i got i'm flying to this one here's my i i think i know what your answer is going to be on this and i i think i should bring my insulated bibs right man i think so yeah it's a lot to pack but like you know, of course, the Sims Challenger bibs, super lightweight, very comfortable, wear them all day long. Do kind of take up a fair decent amount of room in a suitcase, though. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. Not- I should probably bring them. Yeah, dude, I would. And so, are you going then from uh, there to Smith because the Pro Circuit, the second event of the Pro Circuit season, is on Lewis Smith, and that's just that following week. Yep, it's a. Uh, you and I are having a multi-week derby party, basically. Um, yeah. The highlight of which will be fishing with Jeremy Lawyer for catfish. Folks, uh, you may not hear a podcast next week about, uh, you know, Redcrest or, or, you know, anything else going on. But you'll probably get some sort of a podcast at some point about catfishing with Jeremy Lawyer. Because, man, if this, if this actually uh, comes to fruition, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I 
Oh my gosh, it looks... It's going to be awesome. It's, Kyle, we are going to make it happen. It, it is mm-hmm. going to happen, and it's going to be great. And uh, there's going to be some great Instagram content from it. There's going to be some uh, great uh, Jeremy Lawyer content from it, which everyone here loves yes. and appreciates. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're going to smash them. Um, it's going to be fun, I think. I hope. And maybe we'll get some insight about how Grand's going to fish that week. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll change our tune one way or another. Yeah. I would say I for that event, um, we're going to, you know, there's no live. Uh, it is going to be on TV later. Um, but we're going to do a pretty good job on it, I think. We got a good crew. Um, we've got, hopefully, you know, some college teams that will text back updates and stuff like that and, like, kind of keep us in the loop a little bit. So I think that we could have a uh, really fun event, um, ideally, anyhow. Yeah. Yep. Um, although it certainly may not be a catch fest, uh, you know, catch fest. Uh, but we'll think we can get. Yeah. I just here's my thing. I just really don't want somebody to be disqualified in excruciating fashion after they win the tournament. Oh man, yeah, please. <sighs> Please, let's just have an outright winner. Because on the one hand, also trying to figure out all of the terminology last year was horrible. Uh, but Ugh. also, it's like a brutal way to have someone win a tournament. So, like, let's just, yes. let's just have this thing be straight up. If you want to win by an ounce, you win by an ounce. But let's have it, you know, happen on the scales. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Next up, Kyle, you got a tackle warehouse game for me, right? Yeah, so I figured, uh, you know, tis the season for uh, lipless crankbaits. So I was clicking around on lipless crankbaits, uh, just trying to see if there was anything that, you know, kind of caught my eye, maybe something I'd want to add to the cart. And I stumbled on this little guy, and it doesn't have a lot of reviews, but one of them kind of got me, uh, made me chuckle. And (laughs) the other ones are, uh, you know, they're they're decent, but... uh, I thought, you know what, it, it'd been a little bit, uh, a little bit, but also lipless crankbaits are, you know, kind of something that catches bass right now, so it's just fitting. No doubt. Is it the Yozuri um, 3DB series crayfish? Yeah, no. Okay, I wanted to check because I saw that as the thumbnail for the lipless crankbait section. I thought to myself, there's no way that's a lipless crankbait, but okay. <laughs> um, so... I'll go with the review that that uh, kind of caught my eye first. Um, it says, uh, this is from Ashton in Texas. Okay. Uh, Ashton says, the action and colors are good, but their durability is very subpar. I casted it too far and hit a rock by accident, Ashton. and the entire front half of the lure cracked. <laughs> Ashton, you're that's, not supposed to that's cast why them the in rocks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the durability, you're right, it is terrible. Uh, it can't hold up getting slung into a rock at 80 miles you know, an hour. million miles an hour. <laughs> it's like, he's probably like, I cast all my other crankbaits into the same rock, and they were fine. Yeah, they, they do fine. <laughs> it's probably like the most, oh, the pointiest, gosh. most jagged rock on the on the shoreline, too, and just... Yeah, uh, it's a rock, it's made yeah, out it's of not... tungsten, so it was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for him. Okay. Um... So this other one is from James, and uh, James says, I actually found one of these in a tree and didn't use it for months. Nice. I love this. <laughs> so this guy didn't buy one. He just found it. <laughs> uh, totally then, worth the money, uh, he says, Yeah, <laughs> if you find them in trees. Says, 
after catching some bass uh, that had shad still in their mouths, I looked for my most similar lure, and it was this one. Uh, tied it on and started catching right off the bat. To date, I've landed around 40 white bass and largemouth bass uh, and only had one eye pop, pop off of it, but it still catches like a charm and casts and retrieves well. It has more drag on the retrieve and feels heavier than, I'll give you this one, than a red-eye shad or Yozuri lipless. So there's two you don't got to worry about. Okay, two big categories out the box. I like that. Yep. Uh, and seems to catch me a ton of fish. I'm definitely buying more of these, even though you didn't buy one to begin with. <laughs> uh, and have not had a single issue with them rolling over or not running true as I have with red-eye shads. Definitely a fan. Okay. Now, did you say where he was from? Uh, no. Uh, also Texas. Okay. So we got two Texas guys. So here's the thing. I really want to say six cents something. Just from a Texas perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it the six cents snatch? It is not. Okay. I feel like I had to ask because, like, you know, Texas. I, right, two Texas things. It seems like a pretty simple thing there. Okay. Is it maybe a little bit of a bigger lipless crankbait? Because, man, all lipless crankbaits kind of look the same to me. Um, yeah, I guess I could tell you um, it only comes in one size. Hmm. And it's, it's big. It's heavier than a half ounce. All right. I'm going to be honest, Kyle. There's no way I'm going to guess this unless I just guess <laughs> all of the crankbaits. But. Uh, well, here's a guy from California that weighs in. Oh, it's got to be Lucky Craft then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, see, this is where it takes a curve. Um, I received the sexy shad color and thought I'd give it a try. The next day, a few of my friends, including myself, got together to have a little tournament. To my surprise, I came in first with nearly seven fish during the coldest days of winter. Wow. Do yourself a favor, pick up a few. You're welcome in advance. Okay. So, it comes in sexy shad. That narrows it, it down. It comes in sexy shad. It's like a different looking sexy shad. Huh. Um, also, this... Uh, this bait, I feel like, does kind of have, uh, well, yeah. It's a different color sexy shed. I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> I'll let you take another guess, and then I'll then I'll say what I was going to say <laughs> to you. Okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> the, I'm trying to, like, put together a... Like what this bait is based on where it's been found and where and where it's been fished, and I'm absolutely striking out um, <laughs> in my head. Anyhow, uh, is it a Berkeley Warpig lipless crankbait? I feel like they might have a weird looking sexy shad. It is not, but I can appreciate that guess. They their sexy shad is kind of weird looking, actually. Um. Yo, they have a pretty decent number of reviews on this one. Uh, the first thing I noticed during this bait was that it was excellent coming through lily pad stalks and wood. It seems to bounce off wood really well and didn't hang up once, which is awesome for a lipless crankbait. 
Tom, how are you fishing a lipless crankbait in wood? <laughs> I gotta know. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm. I'm puzzled. That one. I mean, go for it, Tom. Uh, let's see. Let's see if we can find one that looks like it would get stuck in a tree. Because obviously, it's not the Berkeley War Pig. That never would have been found in a tree. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Comes in a sexy shad, so it's probably not a live target thing. Uh, how about the Mega Bass Vibration X Ultra? Mega Bass's break sometimes. Uh, it is not okay. a Mega Bass. Also, it doesn't come in sexy shad. <laughs> Kyle, I think <laughs> I need some help. Well, uh, it's definitely. It's got like a. It's got a weirder little shape. And it has like a little uh, kind of like dorsal fin on the back. Is it that weird looking Lucky Craft one? No, but it's <laughs> close. That's what I was going to say. The LV100, yeah. I think, has that weird little fin. To me, it kind of looked like that. When I read the California guy, like, oh, did he just get confused and thought this was uh, Lucky Craft? Hmm. I was looking at the... Uh... The Rapala Rattlin' Wrap, but it appears to not have... They appear not to have a sexy shad color. Ah, uh, yes. Um, they have a, a lot of various blue and silver ones, though. So it's got a weird little fin. Weird little fin. Mm -hmm. How about the Livingston Pro Ripper Pro? Ooh. It's a weird-looking sexy shad color. <laughs> Yep, and it uh, it kind of looks like a red eye shad, but it is not oh, man. the Pro Ripper Pro. But if you, I, I'll I'll just uh, I'll start pushing this along. You got to scroll up a little ways. Okay. Uh, really, you're kind of hanging like towards the top of the lipless crankbait page. Towards the top, we're pretty sure it's not a sixth sense. It's got to be this Bagley Rattling B something. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, the Rattlin B plus. Rattlin B. Oh, this is the Rattlin B minus. What's the difference between the, the minus and the plus? Did I, you check that? I, no. Are they different? They might be different sizes. Uh, the plus is two and three quarters yeah. ounce. The minus is half ounce. Uh -huh. Okay, that makes sense. And they don't make it in as many colors in the minus. Interesting. Wait, the plus is but, two yeah. and three quarter ounces. Two and three quarter inches. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> Doesn't it... Um, it's uh, two-thirds of an ounce. Two-thirds of an ounce, yeah, not two and three. <laughs> yeah, the sexy shed is weird looking. Look at that. Yeah. Huh. It's kind of like a white bass. Yeah, which is perfect for Texas. Yeah. Interesting. I like their red craw color. Dude, the red craw is... I could get down also, with that. So I like the brown crop. I also like that. That chrome gold looks good, too. You know, I'm not much of a chrome... I'm not much of a gold guy. I feel like if I lived in Florida, I would dive into that hardcore, though. Yeah. Pike really like them, too. That's kind of the bummer of living in the north. Uh, I Like, just the color in general or lipless crankbaits? Well, both, <laughs> yeah. but I, was, I feel like uh, they my also vibe is very like, much they like gold. do not care what the color is, but they my, love lipless crankbaits. My great grandpa would troll uh, actual rattle traps, Bill Lewis rattle traps, and the only two colors he had was the chrome and blue one and the gold and black one. 
uh, that was like all he said you needed. I'm like, oh, fair enough. All right. So I've thrown a few trying to catch bass on them, and I have caught bass on them. But gosh dang, do those pike love them, dude? There, so like there are a million rattle trap colors. I feel like we don't dive into this enough. They could do a review of every color, and we would still never guess the color. Oh yeah, it's like more than like Zoom. I never knew they made so many. Yeah, until we got sponsored by them, and then all of a sudden we boom. Mm hmm. Now we're yeah. dialed. There should be some kind of game. They do. They have a lot of red colors. We should. We should take Chris McCall sometime and show him like swatches of like a quarter percent oh. of these of these colors and see if he can name the color because I bet that he can. I bet he can too. Be like, all right, this is a this is two thirds of an inch of this bait. Tell me what color it is. And he'll be like, oh, that's Rayburn Gold Bones, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, that's Purple Shad. <laughs> yeah, or. Uh, Yoakum Shed. Or Strawberry Craw. Strawberry Craw, by the way. Yeah. Dope looking color. <laughs> Tiger Craw Olway. Oh, wow. That is a weird looking one. Do they have like an LSU based color in here? I, I feel like they, if they have this many colors, like they should have some weird should, college based right? colors, right? Like they should just, you know, there should be the, uh, like the Cowboy Division Craw. Oh, man. Dude, I don't think they have a lure named Cowboy. How do they not have a Cowboy Craw? Bill Lewis, we got an idea for you. <laughs> well, yeah, well, this it'll be a co-branding yeah. thing. I'm just saying, I think there's options here. Cran Apple, I like that Definitely. kind of juice. Good looking craw. Definitely. Dude, this is ridiculous. <laughs> we should try this game with some folks and see if... Uh, I think you and Rob could make this into a video. I think it that would be. Uh, I'll. Uh, he, I actually just missed a call from him a little bit ago. Perfect. Um, I guess that'll probably do it for our tackle warehouse game. I haven't got a good one for you lined up. Um, you did go fishing though. Do you, we want to dive into that at all? Uh, I mean, we can. It's. Uh, you sent me a wallet. I, I actually photo, had hopes. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Before uh, before that uh, teams meeting. Um, yeah, I, I kind of hope to try to go catch a smallmouth through the ice. Uh, never made it around to doing it. I wound up, um, basically chasing walleyes. Uh, one evening I went out with my dad and, uh, he caught a couple of eel pout. And then, um, then what, uh, what'd we do? Uh, we chased some pike. I actually went pike fishing one day with Emily and uh, my dad, my buddy Andy Walls, um, Emily caught a 39-incher. That's a big pike. It was probably like 16, 18 pounds. Definitely the biggest pike of her uh, of her life, a PB. Cool. And, uh, I mean, it was kind of nice. Like, it was kind of cold, but it was cool to actually, like, get out and put, like, a decent day of fishing in for a couple of days. And the bite was, like, a little slow. Uh, we mostly tip-up fished for both the walleyes and the pike and you could tell the bite was a little off because you'd have fish like they'd grab the minnow trip the flag right so they were taking line 
mm-hmm. and like you get over there and they drop it. So they'd run five feet of line out. They might run 15 feet of line out, but you'd have teeth marks in, in your bait and uh, they weren't eating it. So we were probably like every five or six flags, you'd actually catch a fish. Uh, but it was, you know, it's action. And, uh, you know, you can't argue with that when you're catching fish through a hole in the ice. So it was, uh, it was cool. No doubt. Um, what were you using for bait? So for the walleyes, it was pretty much just sucker minnows, live sucker minnows, uh, like four to seven inches. Oh, that's a big So minnow. like, yeah, yeah. Um, and then on the pike side of things, we used, uh, dead smelt um emily's big one came actually on a uh uh what am i trying to say hot dog uh no have you ever used a hot dog uh, for bait for pike because i had a guy who never had me for like 30 minutes could not get him to go away while i was ice fishing at the beginning of this year sorry to this guy if you're listening um no he was uh, never have and and we've had people email in you know and suggested i just i haven't got around to it uh, smelt are pretty good. Uh, alewife, uh, Emily's big one came on a, on an alewife and, um, just live suckers, but bigger, like 10 to 14 inch suckers, probably pretty big sucker, 15 inch. Cool. So like, you know, things you could actually probably fillet and eat in terms of bait. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was all right. Nice. Hey, do you think a pike would eat a white bass? Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, I got, I've got, I'm evolving ideas. I'm not 100 percent sure of the legality <laughs> of that, but um, I got some things I want to try. I didn't hear anything. Yeah, no, neither did anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we'll know if it was you. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've had probably a fantastic show, Kyle. I'm glad you get got to ca- catch some fish. Uh, we will truly get it in gear with Jeremy Lawyer next week. Um, yep. Depending yep. on when Kyle and I podcast next week, it's likely to be probably one of the most upbeat uh, pro fishing shows that we've ever done, uh, solely <laughs> because we will just have got done catching a pile of catfish. Um, yes. Yeah. It should be. Uh, should be a good time. But anyway, both for you guys to listen to and for us to actually. Yes. Do. Uh, but anyway. Uh, I guess, folks, thanks for listening so much. Um, Kyle, we have an email address uh, where people can reach out at, correct? We absolutely do. Send us uh, questions, comments, concerns. Um, hit us up, Major League Fishing. Uh, podcast at wait, Major League Fishing. Hold on. Podcast at MajorLeagueFishing.com. Uh, I got confused because I started, I wanted to say FLW Fishing, podcast at FLW Fishing, which you probably can still do. Um, you know, so whatever floats your boat. Send us an email. No doubt about it. Uh, Kyle, you are Kyle Lumber on Instagram. I'm Jody Blanco on Instagram. Uh, MLF is all over the place on the internet. Um, maybe too many places. We're a lot of places right now. Uh, Redcrest is going on. I would urge you to watch that. And um, I guess that pretty much does it, man. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, safe travels to Oklahoma next week. And uh, until next time, everyone, see you.